0: Hi there, huddles. Thanks for your time. I appreciate the time to spend the chance to spend time with you today. So, today for core principle module six, we're going to talk about floating through experience mindfully. And the three main concepts here are that um, paradoxical effort is a trap, metaphors facilitate your internalization and ownership of your own personal growth, and compassion reduces secondary processes that undermine your growth. So, first, as we talk about paradoxical effort as a trap. Let me tell you a joke. What is overcoming anxiety, falling asleep, sneezing, and having an orgasm have in common? Wait for it. They all require surrender. What I mean by that is you have to surrender to the process to allow it to either pass or to happen. And so the opposite of this is called paradoxical. Paradoxical effort and it undermines most stuck places that people experience as they try to move through uncomfortable thoughts, feelings, and sensations. Um, So, if we take, for instance, sensations as an example, uh, what creates a panic attack is as you perceive a threat and have the fight or flight response, if you add an oh no, I shouldn't be having these sensations to those fight or flight sensations in the first place. Um, the, your amygdala will give you some more adrenaline and you'll keep having more and more of those sensations until it subjectively feels out of your control. And we call that a panic attack. As you're learning to work through that, the paradoxical effort would be as you try to go, as you try to allow your sensations, you actually secretly hope that you don't have them and then they keep happening. So for instance, sometimes when people hear about what creates, maintains, and intensifies a panic attack for the first time, they do understand that, okay, if I can just invite my sensations in, then I'm not going to panic. But if it's at a time where you really, really don't want to be having a panic attack, and you tell yourself that you're trying to invite them in, but you secretly hope that you don't have those sensations, again, that's going to backfire, and you're likely to have sensations. So we call that paradoxical effort. It also happens with sleeping. So a good, um, one, one thing that maintains insomnia is often thinking, oh no, if I don't fall asleep, then I'm not gonna be able to perform tomorrow and uh, you know something catastrophic is gonna happen. So the paradoxical effort with falling asleep is basically trying to have the perspective that it would be okay for me to be completely exhausted tomorrow. And I'm just gonna live with the, the possibility that I don't sleep and I feel tired in order for my body to eventually relax and my mind to relax and then I fall asleep. But again, the trick here is that you actually have to believe that it would be okay if you're tired tomorrow because if you paradoxically hope that you'll trick yourself into falling asleep, it will backfire. The final example is happiness is also a paradox. So the more that you're striving for the feeling of um, happiness, the more elusive it'll become. Oftentimes when people are saying that they're striving for happiness, they might actually be striving for the feeling of pleasure um, or joy or, or something like that. Um, so that's where acceptance and commitment theory comes in and teaches us that the trick is to strive for flex- psychological flexibility. So this would mean the three major components of psychological flexibility are um, showing up to the present moment, letting go of unhelpful thoughts and feelings, and doing things that we value. And the idea is that if we're regularly committing to things that we value, and able to um, do those things with um, present moment awareness, and allowing any thoughts or feelings that are uncomfortable, as we do that thing that we've committed to, um, then we might not feel happy every moment, but we'll have all kinds of different thoughts and feelings. And there will be more likelihood of a moment where we feel happy. Um, So yeah, the paradox there is if you strive to feel something all the time, it's gonna feel more and more elusive. But if if you commit to things that you care about and live with the possibility that your thoughts and feelings change, then you're likely over time to feel as though your life is rich, full, and meaningful. For the next concept, um, as we're striving to float through our experiences mindfully, is that we want to use metaphors to facilitate our personal internalization. So while the concept of going towards uh, whatever or going towards our internal experiences is theoretically simple, it's not easy to do, and there can obviously obviously be a lot of different nuances to it that can make it hard to remember. Um, So I see metaphors falling into two major categories. So one category can be uh, personifying the different internal experiences that we have so we can catch the different voices and decide which cognitive patterns we actually want to respond to. So for instance, wise mind, worried voice, and false comfort is a version of personification that helps us remember we want to access wise mind um, and, um, you know, challenge worried voice, particularly when it's urgent and it's spiraling. Um, And I know different people in group have kind of come up with different names for wise mind, worried voice, and false comfort. Uh, You could also have uh, the voice of depression, the voice of OCD, the voice of mania, um, the, a self-critical voice, all of these things that you could personify to help you remember um, that you don't, just because a certain thinking pattern arrives in your mind doesn't mean you have to follow it. Um, the other category for metaphors can be processes. Um, so particularly if certain processes get you stuck and you're trying to remember what to do differently. So, for instance, inflated responsibility, uh, where having is a process that lots of people get stuck on. And this is infl- by inflated responsibility, we both mean taking responsibility for thoughts as though they're actions. So having a thought feels like it's true. Um, and the other form of inflated responsibility is taking responsibility. Um, for something that we don't have control over, like how other people think or feel towards us. Um, But so one example of a metaphor that could, that speaks to inflated responsibility is the idea that my OCD has a Rolodex of bad memories. Whenever I feel guilt, it starts thumbing through that Rolodex. And so that could be a reminder of having the feeling of guilt is making the thoughts seem true or seem like I've done something wrong. And then the cue there, if you remember that metaphor, could be, I'm gonna throw away that Rolodex. Another metaphor um, for, some, for the concept of making a decision and living in it, rather than teetering back and forth um, in, in uncertainty would be something like, my OCD is like a congresswoman filibustering any, Uh, decision I try to make. So when I notice the filibuster of uh, the filibuster in my mind not letting me make a decision, I might try to make a decision and live in it. Um, And finally, a third metaphor is my worry is like a faucet. I'm trying to contain it before it spills over. And so that could be for um, worry as a process that we'd want to try to use scheduled worry time to both Contain the worry and also not do anything that um, reinforces or um, reinforces the worry by trying to figure it out. So, the last concept in floating through experiences mindfully is compassion. So, we talk about compassion all the time in huddle.care, and I want to emphasize that we're not just talking about a formal practice on a cushion, although formal compassion practices are. Um, great from my perspective. Uh, When I think about compassion, I think about it as a secondary process that's very common in anxiety, OCD, and depression that tends to undermine growth. And what I mean by that is besides lack of information about how avoidance operates, one process that keeps people stuck is shame and self-criticism. So especially as you start to learn more about CBT and how anxiety disorders operate, you might be thinking, well, I theoretically understand how this operates. Why does my anxiety keep coming back? Or why do these intrusive thoughts keep coming back? And particularly if that why is very critical and and, uh, also brings up the feeling of shame, then it might be difficult to observe and stay with what's happening um, long enough Mm -hmm to not do anything to avoid it or to reinforce it. So from that perspective, I think about compassion as a skill you can learn that can help you stay with the process of whatever's happening. Because regardless of what you know, um, you know, anxious sensations or intrusive thoughts can show up at, at any time. And just having Information about what's happening doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So, in any given moment, having a compassionate stance um, that allows your mind to observe what's happening is going to help you get through it faster. And that doesn't mean that the sensations or the thoughts are necessarily going to go away, but again, you're just not going to do something that reinforces it. So, if compassion by definition is sympathetic consciousness of Distress together with a desire to alleviate it, then I think of self compassion as turning towards yourself with concern and a desire to do something to alleviate your own distress. When it comes to anxiety, um, turning towards your experience would be observing that experience mindfully, floating through it mindfully, and not doing something to make it worse. So you don't have to be particularly. warm and fuzzy about this. Just notice what's happening. Don't criticize yourself. Don't add shame and don't add avoidance. So let's talk more in group about what helps you stay compassionate with yourself um, and what you do to facilitate self-compassion. Can't wait to see you guys.